Well, good morning again. It's good to have you with us at First Baptist Church. Those of you that are watching online, a special welcome to you as well. How many of you or how many of us find ourselves getting angry at the smallest things? Anybody guilty? It seems like our short fuses are getting even shorter. We go from totally fine, at least on the outside, looks like everything is great, to DEFCON 1 faster than Matthew Broderick in War Games. Anger is a problem for many of us, and the solution is not just think happy thoughts. We have to dig deeper into our hearts to find the root cause of our anger. Unfortunately, it's not simply the obvious thing that's right in front of us. We say we're mad at traffic or we're upset because this person in front of me is driving way under the speed limit. That person is not the cause of our anger. We're impatient or we want to be where we want to be or we left late or so many other reasons, but our anger bursts out and we need to look at the sin lying under the sin, the root cause of the sin of anger is deep in my heart. This morning, we're going to get a ringside view of Jonah's heart. He's burning with anger, and he exposes his heart's sin for all to see. Again, if you were writing a book about yourself or about a hero of the faith, often we want to cover up these kind of moments, but Jonah lays it all open, bare for us to see, and we need to see the truths that we can uncover as well. If you haven't been with us recently, our sermon series is about Jonah, and it's called Running from God's Grace. The theme of grace is woven throughout this minor prophet book. As we wrap up Jonah in the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to see our need to love the spiritually lost and to share God with others. Throughout the narrative, we're going to be encouraged as we see God's sovereignty orchestrating all these events in Jonah's life to show not only God's amazing grace and mercy, but also to call back this running prophet back to God again and again. We see God's patience, his long-suffering, his perseverance with those who even turn their back on him. And I'm so thankful for that this morning because I do that same thing throughout the week. Today's surprising and shocking message in Jonah chapter 4 parallels the beginning of chapter 2, and we've talked about that as we've gone through. Chapter 1 and 3 parallel each other, and then chapters 2 and 4 are parallels. Last week, we saw Jonah preaching a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, and surprisingly, they repented. But today, we're going to see Jonah's shocking response. If you missed any of those previous messages, they're on our website, they're on our YouTube page. You can scan the QR code in the bulletin, or you can find them on uh, Facebook or any of those other places. So before I read the beginning of chapter 4, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a beautiful spring day that we could be together in your house to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to worship your holy name. And thank you, God, that we got to see firsthand your work in the lives of some of the young people in our church who are getting ready to move on after they've finished high school. 
Lord, I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace for us. Thank you for calling us to you and for calling us back again after you've forgiven us. Lord, this morning as we look into Jonah's heart, help us to also see deeper into our own hearts. Help us to have ears that are willing to hear and hearts that are willing to be purified, to turn over all of the sin and ask for forgiveness and ask you to do a great work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we ask your blessing on the reading of your scripture this morning and on the rest of this day that all that we say and do would bring glory and honor to your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. I'm gonna back up to the last verse of chapter three again just to help the table. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now Jonah chapter one. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? First off, we have burning anger. If you like taking notes or if you think it might help you stay awake and connected, there's a little insert in the bulletin. And if you're watching online, uh, you can go to faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist, and you'll find the bulletin notes there as well. So first of all, we have this burning anger. The wicked people of Nineveh heard Jonah's warning, and they repented. They turned away from their sin, their violence, their mistreatment of one another. And if this was the ending of a normal story, then it would be a great ending. Jonah should have been thrilled and rejoiced that his mission was successful. Yay, God. It happened just like God said. Call them to repentance. But verse 1 starts with, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. This Hebrew word for anger is often translated as kindling or burning. He's seething. He wasn't just upset. He was irate burning with rage. And here's the parallel. If you have your Bible open, you can see chapter 2 and chapter 4 all on the same page. Chapter 2 starts with, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Jonah reached the low point as he's been swallowed up by a fish down in the depths of the sea, and he cries out to God. And here in chapter 4, verse 2 says, and he prayed to the Lord. The word for Lord here in chapter 4 is Yahweh, which means my covenant God, the God who promised me. It's personal. And the word for God throughout the beginning of this book has always just been Elohim, which just means the God, the one true God. Jonah is making this personal. My God, how could you do this? Jonah was consumed with anger. He was consumed with 
hatred towards the people of Nineveh. And now he's angry at God because he withheld his justice. He withheld the judgment on Nineveh. Jonah went throughout the streets of Nineveh preaching, and yet 40 days and you will be destroyed. Repent of your sin. Judgment is coming in 40 days. But Jonah wanted to see that happen. That's what was going on in his heart. On his lips, he said, repent. But in his heart, he was saying, yes, 40 days, and they're going to get zapped. That's what he was sadly looking forward to. Our anger is usually self-centered. We don't get what we want or what we think we deserve, and we make sure that everyone knows this is not okay. Our anger not only burns us, but typically it has a wide-reaching blast radius and burns up everybody around us too. Scripture has a lot to say about anger, and I could read verses all morning long, but I'm just going to hit on a couple of them. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You show your foolishness when you blow up in anger. James 1.19-20, Know this, my beloved brothers. He's caring and saying, I love you. Listen to this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, listen closely, speak slower, and really wait and be patient before you get anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger is not going to make you more righteous. It's just going to expose your sin and expose your unrighteousness. And then in Ephesians 4.26, a verse that we've memorized together, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Anger is an emotion. God created us in his image with emotions. And we get happy when things are going great, and we get sad when things are not going our way, and when things are really not going our way, we get angry. But Scripture says, be angry and don't sin. If your first response to something is, wow, that is not going the way I want, what are you going to do next? Are you going to yell? Are you going to lash out? Are you going to hit somebody? Are you going to hit something? Don't sin after the emotion. Anger is there, and if it's righteous anger, and this is the, the part that so many of us mess up, if it's righteous anger, yes, we should act. If we see someone being hurt, if we see a child about to go into danger, we should run out there and quickly react. It's a response to what's happening around us. But are we going to respond in a godly way, a way that glorifies and shows God's character? Or are we going to respond in anger? Righteous anger is making sure that God's name is protected and that the weak are protected, that we're going in and doing something good. That's why we're angry. We're seeing someone else be hurt. But if I'm just protecting my own desires, my own wants, then that anger is not righteous. It's selfish. So we have burning anger, and that's what Jonah is displaying. He was exceedingly 
displeased. He was angry, and he has a burning heart. Here's the Pastor Mark paraphrase of verse 2. Oh, Lord, didn't this go just the way I said it would before any of this craziness started? Literally, Jonah is saying, God, I told you so. That's why I ran to Tarshish. That's why I went the complete opposite direction, because I thought something like this might happen. God, the creator of the universe, I told you so. He's shaking his fist in God's face and saying, God, how could you do this? I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. I know you're slow to anger. And you're abounding in steadfast love, and you relent from disaster. Jonah is quoting David, Psalm 86, 15. You can look that up later. But instead of then saying, as David did, teach me your ways, unite my heart to fear your name, Jonah says, I'd rather be dead than see these horrible, unworthy people receive even a drop of mercy from you. How can you not punish them? How could you show them mercy and grace? God, how can you be the God who keeps his covenants? Remember, that's the word he uses, my covenant God, my promise-keeping God. You love your people Israel. How could you not destroy these enemies? How could you forgive them and show kindness to them? They're not your promised people. They're not your chosen people. You know how wicked they are. Sure, they repented. But how can you show them mercy? God, where's your swift justice? That's what I really want to see. I want to see you destroy them in 40 days. Come in and blast them. Flatten them out like you did Sodom and Gomorrah. In this shockingly transparent moment, Jonah is letting us see what's going on in his heart, and it's pretty ugly. His heart is burning with hatred. He sees the people of Nineveh as pagans who should be destroyed instead of saved. They don't deserve your mercy, God, the way I do, the way the people of Israel do. And here's his nationalism rising to the surface again. He wants Israel to prosper, but he wants all of the other nations to fail. And that's where Israel got this wrong. They were chosen by God. They were blessed by God. But God said, I want you to show my glory to the ends of the earth, not hate the people to the ends of the earth. They did a great job of separating from the world sometimes, but they did it to a point of pride and saying, look, we're better than all of you. You can all just go rot. Jonah wants Israel only to be saved. And he wants all of the other nations to perish in their sins. So how do we look at that today? It's okay to be a patriot, to love your country, even to fight for its freedom and fight for the freedom of others. But if you hate your enemies, if you view the others as your enemies, and you want to see them suffer and be annihilated, you're guilty of malice 
That's a scriptural sin. Malice is anger that wants to see someone else suffer and be in pain. It's not enough to just be mad at them, but you want to see them suffering. You rejoice in seeing that person lose their job. You're happy when you see that person get into a car wreck in the new car that you think they didn't deserve. That's malice. And that's a rotting heart that doesn't care for other people. Haley read Luke 6 for us. That was from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. We can love our country. We can love our godly heritage. But when new people come in, or a new group comes and they don't share our values, they don't share our faith, do we want to see them become part of God's family? Do we want to see them part of our country and enjoy the blessings, or do we want to see them destroyed? Do we want to just kick them out? Do we hate them because they're different than us? Why do they not deserve God's mercy? Why don't they deserve God's salvation? Why don't they deserve the blessing that we think we deserve? Remember Ephesians chapter 2. We've been saved by grace. It's a gift from God so that not one of us can boast and say, I deserve this salvation. I'm getting just what I deserved. If, I'm, if, if I was getting just what I deserved... I would be cursed and headed to hell. But God, in his love and in his infinite mercy, saved me. It's by grace. And that's a gift from God. Jesus calls us to love those who hate us. Show them unconditional love, even when they mistreat you and harm you, especially when they mistreat you and harm you. Because as Haley read, even... Sinners love those who love them. Even sinners or pagans will lend someone to them when they expect to be paid back. But Jesus said, love those, even the unlovable, even the people who you don't expect anything back from except maybe more anger, love them. Be willing to give to someone and not expect anything back. That's showing God's love. That's not only unconditional, but it's blessing those who maybe have hurt us. Keep on loving them. And our final point is idols of the heart. That's what we see Jonah displaying. Not only is God putting his extreme mercy and grace on display throughout this book, he's helping Jonah see the rotten condition of his own heart. God is taking Jonah through all of these steps just so that the prophet could see what was going on in his own heart. These events have all been orchestrated in God's sovereignty to lay the inner desires of Jonah bare for all to see. God calls us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Jonah was called as a prophet to speak for God. He called him Yahweh, 
He said, you're my covenant God. You're my promise-keeping God. But when things didn't go the way he wanted, he was ready to just throw it all in. Jonah said, I'd rather be dead than see you forgive these people. We're seeing what's most important to Jonah, what's going on in his heart, and there are idols there. Jake, who's not here at the moment, shared with us last year in Gospel Treason the definition of an idol. Can you read that with me? An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. An idol is anything or anyone that begins to capture our hearts, our minds, and our affections more than God. How many of you were here for that series last year? Okay, not everybody. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this. Jonah wanted to see Israel flourish. He wanted to see their enemies suffer more than he wanted to obey God. So if we want something more than we want God, that is an an idol. Very clearly in the Ten Commandments, God said, you shall have no idols before me. So how do we identify idols in our heart? How do we know that something is in our heart that maybe is taking a higher place than God? How many whodunit fans do we have out there? You like to watch or read mysteries and you try and solve the crime along with the sleuth? If you've been watching or reading them for some time, you know that a good detective worth his or her salt follows the trail of time, money, and affections. That's how we figure out what somebody really cares about, and that's often the motivation for the crime. Time, money, and affections. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? And where do our affections lie? When there's an idol, you will sacrifice for it. You're willing to give up just about anything. You're going to spend time on it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You're going to talk about it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you talk about most? What are you excited to share with people? Is it your faith? Is it your walk with God? Or is it something or someone else? What are you talking about? What do you serve? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. What are you going to protect and defend? What are you thinking about most of the time? Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What do you worry about? What do you want to make sure happens? What are you building your schedule around? What's the first thing that goes on the calendar and it's the priority that can't be moved? What do you get angry about if someone blocks you from it? What do you experience intense fear or anxiety if this thing is threatened in any way? And what might you spiral into despair or depression, even contemplating suicide? 
if you fail to achieve or keep this thing. As Brad Bigney said, what devastates you? What word would you say, oh, that was devastating. This just happened. That destroyed my world. It crushed everything. That might be an idol. It's serious stuff. Idols wreck our lives. They wreck our relationships. They can wreck our careers. They can wreck our health, our physical well-being. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it your passions, the things that you want, your desires in your heart? That's what you fight about. That's what causes wars and quarrels. That's what causes couples to fight and struggle or with a coworker or with a child. Isn't it the things you want in your heart that you're not getting or the things that you want to make sure you're holding on to? And those are our three diagnostic questions. Number one, am I willing to sin to get it? I'm not picking on anybody. These are just examples I thought of, and they don't all necessarily apply to me. But I have to have that truck, that SUV. I'm going to work an extra job. I'm not going to be at home. I'm going to let my wife drive an unreliable unsafe beater with the kids. She can drive that around, but I need this truck. The roof can wait. We can put another bucket out, but I need this truck. I have to marry that girl. Yes, she's not a believer. Maybe she'll come around, but she makes me so happy, and she's so gorgeous. Everyone else is going to be jealous of me. My parents don't think it's a good idea. Her parents don't think that we're a good match, but obviously they're all wrong. I want her. I need her. Or maybe it's, I have to get this promotion. It doesn't matter who I have to step on or push off the ladder on the way to this next rung at work. It doesn't matter how many hours I have to put in, ignoring my family, maybe yeah, I'll probably have to lie a little bit to make this deal look better. It's what everyone wants anyway, isn't it? When I get promoted, everything is going to be better. I'll have time to spend with my family. I'll have the money. I'll have the position, and I can make everything right then. But I need this promotion. Am I willing to sin to get this thing? If I am, then that thing is more important to me than God, who's supposed to be up here. I'm willing to disobey God. I'm willing to throw away his standards for living so that I can get this thing. Secondly, am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? I have it already, but what if I lose it? My boyfriend, my girlfriend wants me to really show him or her how much I love him how much I care about him or her. And maybe that means ignoring God's standards, but he's worth it. I just can't lose him. I have to sin and step out of God's blessings to keep him. I need to keep going to the gym. I need to make that my focus, or I'm going to lose progress, and I'm never going to attain this never-perfect body. 
just keep working at it, keep working at it. I can't lose that. Or maybe as a student, I had to cheat on those tests. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep my scholarship or I wouldn't get into that school I need. My parents would look down on me. They would be so disappointed if I didn't ace this. So I had to cheat. I can't lose my position. Thirdly, do I run to this thing for refuge instead of turning to God? When I've had a really rough day at work, and I'm so frustrated, I'm so angry at everybody, what am I looking for to feel better? Where am I seeking peace? Is it shopping? Click, click, click. That'll make me feel better. Or even just the looking for half an hour when I don't need anything. What are today's lightning deals? Let me check them out. There's got to be something there I need. And once that arrives, oh, then I'll feel better. I just need more stuff. I don't really need the stuff, but it makes me feel good, doesn't it? Or maybe it's getting out and exercising or running. I just need to run this steam off and then I'll be fine. Maybe it's eating or drinking too much. Maybe it's working on my car or my favorite hobby. Maybe it's working on the house. Maybe it's I'm staying at, late work, staying at work late to avoid problems at home. I know what's waiting for me. I know who's waiting for me. I know those problems are going to be there. So I'll just stay here at work and avoid real life. Maybe it's binge watching shows. We were all guilty of this during COVID, certainly. Maybe it's playing computer games or crushing some more candy mindlessly just to avoid thinking about real life. These things in and of themselves, every one of them is not necessarily wrong. But when our desire for them is inordinate, it's out of balance in our real life, then that thing becomes an idol and it eclipses our love for God, our obedience to God, because that thing is more important. So our takeaways this morning, like me, do you struggle with burning anger? You know deep in your heart that you're right and everybody else is obviously an idiot. Do those thoughts pass through your head as you're thinking about things? That kind of anger is never righteous. You can't make excuses for it. Are you a patriot or a political news junkie and you put your country, your nationality above everything else, including obedience to God, including loving your neighbors, including loving your enemies, including glorifying God as first priority? Anger, hatred, jealousy, impatience, malice, all of these things are sins, but what's the sin beneath that sin? What are the idols hiding in your heart? The idols that we desire and demand are the root cause of the sin that comes bubbling to the surface. Other people just see what's on top, and they may think, wow, you were so patient. It took you days before you finally went crazy. And they maybe say, oh, that was a good thing. You're patient, but we still finally blew up. Instead of just trying to fix all of those things on the surface, God calls us to dig down and find the roots 
on the surface are just the fruit. So when we have something evil in the roots of our heart, evil is what's going to come up in fruit on the top for everybody to see. We need to dig out the sin beneath the sin. We need to work on removing those idols instead of just trying to treat what's visible to everybody else. We need to run into the grace of Jesus instead of like Jonah running from the grace of God. We need to seek forgiveness. And like the psalmist said, search me, O God. Know my heart. I don't know my own heart. I don't know the sin that's there. I'm not only blind to it, but my heart covers it up and makes it so hard to see. God, I want you to search me and show me any wickedness in me that needs to be repented, to be asked forgiveness of God. And I need you to begin rooting out those idols in my heart. If this is something that struck a chord for you, you can find this brochure called Identifying Personal Idols. I didn't write it, but I really like it. And there are some copies of it out at the Welcome Center, along with booklets on different things that you may be struggling with. How do we get into seeing our own heart? How do we apply God's word to it? How do we ask God to start working down below the surface, working in our hearts? Maybe today you'd like to be free from sin. You'd like to be free from the chains of death. Freedom from sin and death, freedom from all of these idols can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never confessed your sins, if you've never repented of your sins and said, Jesus, I need you as Savior, I can't save myself, then I would invite you to come talk to me after the service. If you're watching online with us, you can contact me through the church office, but I'd like to show you how you can begin that first step of asking for forgiveness, identifying your sin and saying, yes, God, I am not worthy of your blessings. As Jonah thought he was deserving of everything good, we are like the people of Nineveh who deserved to be judged. But God sent his son. God sent Jesus Christ not only to die for us, but to live as an example for us to see what it looks like for someone to be totally sold out for God. His heart was looking for the will of God. How do I obey God? How do I bring him glory in everything I do? I would encourage you to come talk to me after the service. Mark's going to come and we're going to sing a closing song. Downstairs we have coffee and refreshments and there's even a chocolate chip giant cookie cake for our graduates. So hopefully you'll come down and greet them and give mom and dad a hug. Hopefully I won't be crying at that point. I'm thankful that uh, God dried up my eyes long enough to share his word with you this morning. But this is emotional for parents. Uh, it's emotional for our young people as they're heading out. Pray for all of us and pray that as a church family, we would be loving those that God brings into our path. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are slow to wrath, that you are long-suffering and you're patient. Thank you that you extend forgiveness. You extend mercy and grace to me, a sinner. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. 
for giving us your word to show us examples of real people who struggled with the same things that we struggle with, anger towards other people, impatience, wanting to see people suffer instead of blessed, wanting all of those blessings for ourselves. Lord, help us to search our hearts and see the wicked ways that lie within us, to turn them over to you, to ask for forgiveness, and to ask that you continue to chip away and change our hearts, our minds, our souls, so that we would glorify and honor you and become more like your son, Jesus Christ. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.